you take your seats, I invite you to turn in God's holy and inspired word back to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we're going to read the first five verses here. As we read this, I encourage you to reflect upon those words that I read from Isaiah 61 earlier. I had planned on reading something else earlier and then reading Isaiah and Matthew together at the sermon, but I want to be efficient with my voice. So what we find here in these opening verses of Matthew are, are a Jesus um, providing the, the wisdom that comes as the one who's been sent by God to come to those who are weak and hurting and who need the, the reversal of situation that only God can provide in Jesus Christ. And so everything here, but especially uh, these uh, first, uh, the first three Beatitudes that we have in verses 3, 4, and 5 are, are very much, you'll hear in the language, they, they come right out of that language of Isaiah 61. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth. By the way, have you noticed in the Old Testament how many times it says you know, that, that God opened the mouth of the prophet? Here, very specifically, Matthew says that Jesus opened his own mouth. This is not God opening the mouth to speak through another. This is God speaking. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you so much, and yet not enough, for your kindness and your grace, not to, to leave us to our own imaginations and not to leave us as, uh, as those confused and, and distracted by false myths, but that you sent your Son as the embodiment of your word, and you caused your, wor your Son's words and his actions to be recorded so that we, whom Jesus prayed for in John 17, could read and to hear Jesus speak to us through these words. So give us ears to listen and give us eyes to see. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in the age of Donald Trump. Now be careful. What I'm about to say has nothing to do with politics. All right? So try to divorce yourself politically from what I'm, what I'm saying here. 
But I'm using Donald Trump as my example because he is so obvious in the way he embodies the cultural values of our day that are directly contrary to what Jesus tells us in these first three Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5. What do I mean? There are no shortage of statements that you can find, whether it was from his time of candidating or his time in office, in which you will hear him repeat over and over and over how superior he is to everyone else, regardless of the situation. Nobody can do it like me. Nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. Nobody is better at the military than I am. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. Nobody's fighting for the veterans like I'm fighting for the veterans. There's nobody that's done as much for equality as I have. There's nobody more pro-Israel than I am. There's nobody more conservative than me. There's nobody that respects women more than I do. My favorite. My favorite right here. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. This is not about politics. What I want you to hear is just how openly Donald Trump embodies what what is morally and ethically important to our culture for if you want to be someone who flourishes in life. What do I mean? We live in a culture that values and celebrates this, this concept that, that flourishing or success or experiencing the good life is going to come on the basis of self-reliance or self-expression or self-confidence or self assurance if you want to be successful if you want to flourish especially in like the business world for example or if you want to if you're applying for a job as a coach or for this or that oh by the way this happens when you candidate for a position as a pastor too what are your numbers in your last church how big is the church? How many this? How many that? What's your budget? And the worst thing that you get to do as a pastor is talk to strangers in order to hype yourself up in order to see if they want to call you in order for you to come in and hype Jesus to them. It's a really weird system, but it's what we have. But it happens across the board. If you want to be viewed as someone who's successful and someone who is trustworthy, right? Why was Trump saying those things? He was trying to say, you can trust me if you, if you elect me as president. Here's what I'll do because I'm the best at these things. 
He's trying to show that he's trustworthy. Now, he's trying to do it in a bad way. But it's the way that our culture wants to hear it and see it. They just want you to not be so direct in it. If you want to be viewed as the person to go to in order to get something done, it's going to come through hyping yourself. It's going to come on the basis of you showing, right, or, or at least convincing enough people that they should see you as successful, that they should see you as this. And, and how do you show it? Through self-reliance, through self-assurance, self-confidence, self-expression. You want me? No one's better at this thing than I am. I'm the man for your job. I'm, I'm the woman you need for this issue because look at my track record. By the way, just to make sure, this is not political. If you listen to the State of the Union this past Tuesday evening, you heard the exact same thing. It's just worded much better. But what did you hear as a State of the Union? What you heard was a list of supposed accomplishments by the current president. They all do it. And we all do it with them. And that is why Jesus has to come to us with this difficult, counterintuitive, countercultural message of the Sermon on the Mount, and right off the bat, he starts by calling us to review our attitudes concerning ourselves. He comes right up to us, and he throws a mirror in our face. Do you want to be happy? This is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. This is what the Beatitudes are about, as we saw last week, as this is teaching from Jesus, where he paints a picture of the state of true God-centered human flourishing. What does it look like to flourish as a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, who still lives in a broken, cursed world where the sin that, that has caused this is still a corrupting factor within ourselves. That's why we sing songs like we just sang, where we are calling out uh, for God to work through the gospel in our own lives as the double cure. Cleanse me from sins, guilt and its power. And there's only one way for us to relate to God according to the gospel where these blessings of the gospel are experienced even as those who still have the corrupting influence of sin within ourselves, who have it within this church, and who experience it within every relationship that you have other than the relationship with Christ. Jesus makes an appeal, casting an inspiring vision before us of the way that builds on and fulfills these Old Testament promises and expectations that God wants us to experience the good life. 
This is what he created us for. This is what he is redeeming us for. And the conditions in which we will experience this within this life is on the basis of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the promised king who has come, the promised prophet who has come. The one who has overcome the devil in the temptations in the desert wilderness. And as he comes introducing his king, his kingdom calls his people to follow him by repentance and faith. What does repentance require? It requires us to let go of our self-centeredness, our self orientation it calls us to let go of self-reliance it calls us to let go of self-expression self-confidence self-assurance and calls us to find and experience all these things on the basis of being in christ being a disciple of christ being a citizen of the kingdom of christ on the basis of repentance and faith And so at the heart of this sermon, at the heart of these Beatitudes, is this most basic idea that in Christ's kingdom, if you're going to experience the flourishing that you are created and redeemed for, you have to be emptied before you can be filled. This is what Jesus sets before us. And now right out of the gate, this general principle is given very specifically in terms of the blessedness, the flourishing that is experienced when one is living within an attitude of being poor in spirit. Now, the issue here is not about money. It's not about riches. It's not that, as, as some branches of the church through history have said, that, that, those, that what's being talked about here is those who are materially poor. Don't worry if you're poor right now, you're going to inherit the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The being poor here is an adjective that is describing um, spirit, not describing your, your, your material existence. It's being poor in spirit. Spirit in the Greek here, just like in the Hebrew, it, it's one word that has two basic emphases. And, and the, the one that we use a lot is spirit. But it also means wind. But Jesus is saying here, if you want to experience flourishing in life, then you can't be full of hot air. You are to be poor in spirit. You are not to be overly inflated. You see, our world says the opposite, right? You want to flourish? You want to experience the good life? You better make a big deal about yourself. And like a puffer fish. Has anybody ever seen a puffer fish in person? I used to play with them when I was a kid. We would catch them. We'd throw them in a bucket that that had the crabs that we were catching and watch the crabs pick at it, and it would blow itself up, and then we could bounce it and throw it to one another. 
I'm not endorsing this. But it would blow itself up, one, as a form of self-protection, but also, on the other hand, as a way of trying to communicate, don't mess with me. And that's such a, a, an easy picture for, for how our world functions, the world that you and I have grown up in, the world that is trying to squeeze us into its mold, as Paul says. It tries to turn us into puffer fish. If you're, if you're going to succeed, if you're going to be the good, live the good life, you've got to blow yourself up. You've got to inflate yourself to be bigger than what you are as a way of protecting yourself and as a way of trying to get ahead. Jesus says, if you're going to experience the good life, it begins with the opposite. Being poor in spirit, not being overinflated. Now, this does not mean that what Jesus is saying is that the right, uh, the virtuous attitude uh, to be cultivating with your, within yourself, he's not saying that this comes down to a personality trait. Right? There are people that we know. I mean, I know you're thinking of me right now, who are very passive, naturally. Right Within their personalities, they are the kind of people that are quiet behind the scenes. They're passive. They're not really going after stuff. They're, they're not, you know, like other people, loud and brash and, you know, the bull in the china shop knocking everything off. This is not what Jesus means by being poor in spirit. He's not calling you to change your personality to become one who shrinks into the shadows. He also is not referring here, you know, not only just to personality, he's not talking about your traits or your giftings. <clears throat> he's not saying you, you, if you want to experience the good life, you need to act like you don't have anything to offer. You need to act as if you don't have any gifts or talents, right? To be, to be humble, to be poor in spirit, often the way that's presented to us in this world is you're quiet, you're passive, you don't have any talents, you don't really have anything to offer. So, of course, you should be humble. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about lacking strength. He's not talking about lacking initiative. He's not saying become a, a type B type of person. And he certainly is not saying, that if you want to flourish in this life, you need to denigrate yourself and think and speak very poorly of yourself. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm horrible. I don't have, I don't have any real talents to offer, you know. I'm, I'm never going to get ahead in life because I, I just don't really, I don't have money or I don't have a great personality. Or in Christianese, right? Oh, I am just the worst sinner ever. No one is as sinful as me. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm just, I, I can't even enjoy the gospel because that would be wrong for me because I'm just so sinful. Humility is not shrinking yourself on, on the basis of lies. And it certainly is not about 
making yourself small by making small of yourself. That's not humility. That's pride. You see, there is a pride that is very obvious, right? You see it every week in this pulpit. It's bold and it's brash and it's in your face. This pride of self-confidence and self-assurance. There is a pride that projects where, where one does like the puffer fish and projects something that's not really there. But there is also a pride that does the same thing in projecting something that's not there, except instead of the image that's being projected being really inflated, the image that's being projected is underinflated. It's like the flat tire. Right? There's a danger in overfilling a tire with air. There is a danger in underinflating the tire. In both circumstances, the tire doesn't work right. When we underinflate ourselves through false humility, what we are doing is the same thing as someone who is projecting something that's bigger than what is true. What you're doing is you're focusing on the self. And I can tell you from counseling, there is this twisted, corrupted way of thinking and feeling where Christians will convince themselves that the only way for them to, to have some type of comfort in their Christianity is by constantly focusing on their sins apart from Christ. And so beating themselves up. I am so horrible. They will not let go of sin. They, they won't confess it and allow God to lift it off of them. They think that in order for them to truly be motivated to walk with Christ, they've got to keep the pressure on themselves. They, they have a Sisyphusian Christianity. I just made up that. Sisyphus, right? In the Sunday school this morning, we were talking about Second Peter 1 um, with the kids about how Christianity is not built on cleverly devised myths. It's built upon the eyewitness of, of those who, who walked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who, who you know, went about everyday normal life with Jesus, who heard him, who saw him. Not like the myth of Sisyphus. Condemned by the gods to have to roll this giant heavy stone up a hill only so that by the time he would get to the top, the stone would roll down and he'd have to go back and push it up again. And when it got to the top, it would roll down and he'd have to go down and get it and push it up again. And that he was condemned to this life of trying to push the rock up the hill only to find the rock roll back down. And many of you live your Christian lives this way where you constantly think what God wants of you is to throw your shoulder against this stone to roll it up the hill rather than resting on the stone that was rejected by men, 
but exalted by God. The rock of ages that we sang about moments ago, standing on the sure foundation of the rock of Christ, who has done everything for you and who only asks you to let go of yourself to be filled by him. Do you want to flourish as a citizen of the kingdom even as we wait for the fullness of that kingdom to come, you have to be emptied to be filled. And the very first place that Jesus calls your attention to is to let go of yourself. Self-confidence, self-assurance, self-expression. Let go of those things, not so that you don't experience them, but that you experience them in the only place where they can fulfill, and that's to find them in Christ, where Christ is your assurance, where Christ is your confidence, where Christ and what he lived and what he said is what forms and shapes the expression of your living in the words that you speak. Confidence, assurance, uh, uh, reliance, right? Finding strength, but not in yourself, finding it in Christ. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to experience the flourishing of a relationship with him, which provides everything that the world is trying to teach you to go after. The problem is the way that they go after it will only further take them away from what they desire. And the only way to find them and experience them is through emptying yourself to be filled by Christ. Jesus wants you to rest in him. And Jesus wants you to serve him. But your rest is not based on your service. Your service is an expression of your rest. Jesus himself tells us in John 14, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his Even Jesus did not live the good life on the basis of himself. But even Jesus lived and experienced the good life in a cursed world as he was rightly related to his father and entrusted himself to his father, finding his confidence and assurance and his strength, and even his very expression of his mouth and his life, it was all an expression of the Father in him and through him. And beloved, in Christ, what it means for you and me is that we've been drawn into that Christ, and we've been drawn into his relationship, 
And we are now called to let go, to repent of trying to have these things through ourselves so that we will experience them as Jesus himself did by purposefully and intentionally cultivating our relationship with God where we let go of our pride and we embrace God's pleasure. You see, the lie is that if you're going to experience pleasure in life, if you're going to experience pleasure in your religion, the lie is that you will have those things in so far as you focus on yourself. Either focusing on how good you're doing or by focusing on how utterly awful you are. It is attributed to C.S. Lewis, and we'll be talking about this in our C.S. Lewis book club, little plug for this Wednesday. It's attributed to him. No one really knows if he said it. But the, 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 the famous statement is, is that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking on Christ. If therefore you are made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Paul says, set your mind on things above. This is how you will not allow yourself to be captured by empty philosophy. This is how you will enjoy the relationship you have with God even as you will continue to wrestle with sin within yourself and within your relationships. It is in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we are united to the risen Christ through whom we have become partakers of the divine nature and relationship. And that is what we are to cultivate as we very purposely cultivate dependence on God, filling ourselves with God. So not just on a Sunday when we happen to sing Rock of Ages, but moment by moment, the expressions of our hearts are nothing in my hand I bring. Simply, to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, protect us. Even as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer early, earlier, protect us from sin. Protect us from the world and protect us from the devil. Protect us from from the ongoing corruption in our own hearts that lead us to, to think that we have to be a big deal, whether that's a big deal to you or a big deal to ourselves, to a big deal to our parents or to our spouses or to our friends. We get trapped in the slavery of, of, of thinking that in order for us to enjoy the good life that Jesus has come to give us, that abundant life, we think that we have to somehow 
do something within ourselves that you have left undone. And so, Lord, forgive us of that and help us to take seriously just how immense and vast and and boundless your grace truly is, your patience truly is, your covenant love truly is. And as we cultivate this, this love that you have for Christ, which is the love that we get to experience in Christ, oh Lord, may it lead us to continue on a daily basis to repent and to believe, to be emptied, to be filled, to be humbled in order to be exalted. This is the way of the gospel that is incomprehensible apart from what you have revealed in Christ and through Christ in your word. And so help us to humble ourselves before you that we indeed may be lifted up. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.